Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads. From the eye in the sky. This is Seattle Overload. It's Seattle Overload. With your host, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go. Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast, where I'm joined by the perfect guest to preview Seahawks-Eagles Monday Night Football, the must-win game for the Seahawks. But as we'll learn, I think for the Eagles as well, they're, they're, they'll be wanting to win this one. Uh, Benjamin Solak of NFL The Ringer and also the Philly Special Ringer podcast, right, Ben? Yes, How are you sir, doing? Yes, sir. I'm well, man. Thanks for having me on. Been a, been a fun season for our respective coastal birds. <laughs> West Coast, East Coast. I don't know if I should have picked the uh, the East Coast team time zone wise. It gets a bit messy. I mean, right now it's one o six a.m. here. I guess if I was on the East Coast, I wouldn't be staying up so late all the time. But then, <laughs> listen, the grind is the grind. All right, trust me. I, I live in the East Coast. I still find reasons to be up super late doing film work. It happens. That's the way it goes. Yeah, I think you know I, I'm going to be a degenerate whatever so it's just how it how it goes um so ben you do cover the eagles mm-hmm. how did you we like to ask people on the podcast how they became a fan of said team also and i mean i remember back in the day you and uh, michael kiss that was an absolutely unbelievable show that's how i kind of started listening to you how did you get into the eagles fandom and, and then yeah. covering the team yeah, I uh, I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania. It's like two hours north of Philly. And my mom is a Jets fan. My dad was a Steelers fan. Uh, and so I was already in like a split household where like it wasn't like, you know, we were all raised under one flag. And I was born in 97. And there are, the early 2000s were just, it was the McNabb era. It was prime McNabb-Reed era, right? Like every, every I'm in my first conscious years as like a football consuming child, the Eagles were going to NFC Championship game after NFC Championship game. And then they went to the Super Bowl. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just root for this team. And they'll have Terrell Owens. They'll just do this forever, right? And it turns out, no, they won't. Uh, I was I was misled. But I was close enough to the region that, like, I, I knew enough of the fans. And, and they were a super fun team to root for. Brian Dawkins, Jeremiah Trotter, Trent Cole, Brian Westbrook. Like, that was such a freaking fun team. Um, and they've been fun my entire life. Like, I've never I've never once been like, oh, what if I this, that, anything. Like, they went to Macklin. They went to Deshaun. They went to Vic. Like, they've just always had such fun players to watch and so uh i started like the first thing i ever did in the field was covering the eagles like blogging about them that's how i got my start in the field and so while i'm like a national guy now and i certainly i i i ride the highs and the lows with the eagles a lot less than i used to just like mm-hmm. the more you cover the game the more you know sometimes you win sometimes you lose i they i'll always remain an eagles fan like every time i have to say something good about the cowboys i'm always just like oh, drag cross your fingers yeah there we go um that's funny when i picked the seahawks i thought that the legion of boom could last forever and yeah it doesn't we were uh, young men we were young men back then we were young <laughs> we were learning um so talking of seattle given you do now cover the game on a national perspective absolutely brilliant stuff um 
I mean, you all know who Ben is, but his work is up at echelon. What is your impression of the Seattle Seahawks in 2023? Yeah, I they've, they've been unlucky with injury. I think it's, it's the first part that you, that you start with, right? I think that the offensive line, you can. I, I don't think there's a team in the league who's had their their game more affected. It's either them or Miami by the, the injuries that they've dealt with on the offensive line. Uh, and kind of taking the wind out of the sails of, of, of an impactful offense. Like, it's, it's just it's a tough thing to ignore. Obviously, they've been getting better. Like, Cross, Cross came back from injury and looks great, which is awesome. He looks like he's 100%. So, like, there's there's they've kind of come around the bend there, but that really hurt them, I think, in the middle of the season. It leads to a lot of why they're floating around 500 right now. Uh, still functionally, like, Geno plus DK plus Lockett is just a scary passing in the deal, especially when Shane Waldron is involved. Like, that... That, that Cowboys game was a good reminder that when, when they click, they can dump 30 on you. And there's, there's like, you know, there's, there's a, a small number of teams that do 30 regularly. And then there's a much larger number of teams that have the capacity for 30 and Seattle still belongs in that offensively. And then defensively, they, they have good, they have some good pieces. But again, like the injury to Nwosu really, really hurt because Nwosu is such an impactful rusher for them. And then they have some pretty obvious weaknesses. That's just really easy to hammer when, when you're when you're game planning against them. Like they have guys on the field that they can't hide. They have, they uh they can't solve it just with like an elite pass rush. Like a lot of these defenses that can hide their their bad pieces. The Eagles have attempted to be this. They were this for most of the season. They've not been it much anymore. But they just hide weaknesses by being really good in the pass rush. Well, Seattle just doesn't have that. They weren't they weren't built for that to begin with, and then they lost Nuosu. And so for them, there's just there's there's liabilities defensively that they can't work around. And I don't know I'm preaching to the choir probably on that one. Uh so they're still a scary team. Like I don't think I ever like picking against the Seahawks or picking this against the Seahawks on the spread or fading the Seahawks or being an Eagles fan facing the Seahawks because they, they they've got an juice to them where, where you're worried about okay they get a turnover, they get a hit, they get a quick touchdown all of a sudden like this team's throttling you a little bit. Uh, but all together, they're not a complete team. And that's why you've seen them, I think, fall out of this NFC playoff picture. Yeah, this is all stuff we've kind of uh, talked about on the podcast each week and found frustrating. But it's good to hear that that's how you see it too. Um, sounds like you're kind of a Shane Waldron uh, believer or fan. You, you, you... Yeah, I, would, I like Shane Waldron. I will say I do think Shane's brain gets a little bit too big for his noggin at times. And I think that that <laughs> Shane is, is, such, is a good... Uh, as a good uh, mouthwash and as a good relief from kind of what Seattle offense have been in the past. He's overall very clearly a net positive. There's, there's one or two calls game or designs game where I'm like, okay, like Pete, you got to tell Shane to chill out. Like we don't like, I like, like the sidecar stuff in the backfield is sick. Mm-hmm. It's when they like getting shotgun on fourth and one with it, where you're like, dude, just like line up on her center. Like then there, there are moments where, where I think he gets a little bit over his skis, but all together is a good offensive coordinator is a clever offensive coordinator is a, is a net positive for you. And honestly, like, uh, the fact that he's young and still figuring it out and, and I think, you know, still calibrating as a play caller means he's more likely to stay in Seattle for a couple of years than like get scooped up for a job, which is always nice. Like it's nice to have that continuity. So we know in the NFL, like when you get a good OC, usually he's snapped up for a head coaching job somewhere fairly quickly. And so I don't like the fact that he's on a developmental arc means that he might be able to stay in Seattle for extra seasons and like that overall net positive. Yeah. That's interesting perspective again. Cause I know, given Seattle's lost four games in a row, the whole fan base is fired both coordinators. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of how the cookie crumbles. Um, and nine different starting combinations up front on the O-line has been a big challenge for Waldron. Uh, there, there's some more like more detailed gripes you could have about him, and I think the fan base does, but uh, 
it's good to gain that perspective. I think you're, you're not alone uh, in kind of um, when you remove yourself from the picture. You, ben, you probably watch more teams than than the average uh, fan, and, and in more detail than this. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, listen, like we're about to Thursday night football is about to start. The Chargers are like five and eight with Justin Herbert at quarterback. Everybody who's serious knows that Justin Herbert's a very good quarterback, and that the fact that the Chargers are five and eight is evidence. You can be very good at very important spots and then also not be successful as a team. The NFL is really, really hard. So like, absolutely. Like there's warranted frustration with Seattle because they're underperforming relative to expectation, but you're not, I think going to be able to fire Shane Waldron, bring in a different OC and see a reliable jump. Like maybe you absolutely strike gold. There's always that like 5% chance, but in general, like the, the desire to move on from, from Waldron to move on from P like, uh, the grass is not greener than other pastures, man. This is the NFL. Like sometimes you have good coaching and you have good players and you go 500 and that's just the nature of the sport. It sucks, but it's the nature of the sport. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's foreign territory for Seattle fans. I think, and the expectations coming into this year were so much higher given how last year went and, you know, the, the high picks, the high assets they're attributed towards the team. And, you know, Pete Carroll doesn't lose games. Like it, it, they've had winning seasons for basically his entire tenure as Seahawks, uh, head coach so it four in a row uh that is a scary factor now you said you still respect the, the seahawks as a team and the eagles themselves haven't beaten seattle in 15 years yeah so ben are you familiar with the term bogey team or is that a britishism no but like like bogey <laughs> like like i like i, I, mean, I know enough about it's bad it in to, golf. To, to jump it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so it is this, you know, do you put any stock in historical records? It seems a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that what you generally just see is like, I don't, I can't remember what number of those games have been in Philadelphia versus in Seattle. Like typically, like when you when you have a big travel, like an East Coast team out the West Coast is always going to hurt a little bit. Now, obviously, a West Coast team, the East Coast is going to hurt a little bit, and Seattle's won those those home games too. And then they don't they don't play that frequently, right? No. It's it's once every four years minimum, or once every three yeah. years, excuse me, minimum. Uh, and so like. I, I don't think it, it's that uh, that much of like a, a boogeyman sort of a situation. Do we say boogeyman over here? Uh, <laughs> but what I will say is that the Pete's a very good coach, right? The, the the Seahawks are never an easy team to beat. That's just uh, for as long as Pete's been the coach, that's been the reality, right? Except for the last 15 years. Well, for most last 15 years, it was Russ plus Pete. So even when they yeah. were at their best or at their worst, still Russ plus Pete. They were generally good in that time frame. And so uh, I don't think it's any it's any sort of trend. It's just a testament to the the solid, consistent success of the Seattle Seahawks for the last decade, decade plus. Yeah. And yeah, like to your point, uh, Chip Kelly and Sam Bradford, that, that I think was one of the games we, we, we ended up seeing. Yeah. Um, the Eagles are 10 and three now, but they're coming off back to back losses to the Fortnite and the Cowboys, which is nice because the Seahawks also played those teams and the Eagles losses to those same teams were, were bigger margins. They're also, is this the right statistic? It's seven and one in one score games this season. Sounds about right. Yeah. They, so, when they went, when they win the issue, win by multiple scores. Or, yeah. And lose too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what is going on with Philadelphia? Are, are you panicking? No, I, w here's the thing. We fought for like all of their, their wins, like their overtime wins against the commanders and their, you know, uh, 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 
close wins against like you know like they they uh they had the, the Patriots game even in week one where like it wasn't that dominant of a win. They had a loss to the Jets, uh, even as they were were beating the Rams or beating the Dolphins by multiple scores. Like I remember walking to that Dolphins game, being like they're gonna get deleted because their secondary can't play. And then they did it, and it was like, okay, I still kind of feel like the secondary maybe can't play. Like I we have not at any point in the in the season when they were one lost team. I think anybody's watching the Eagles closely, watching them critically, thought to thought. Uh, this is the same Super Bowl caliber team as the NFC champion team. Clearly, like they're going to be the top. They've always felt like uh, a, a little bit of upholding it together. Now, this is how how Howie Roseman builds the team, right? He's always built it to be like prioritize the defensive front, and whatever happens in the back is what happens in the back. Um, they have two elite receivers. Doesn't matter that they run six total passing concepts. No, because they have two elite receivers. Like they, they've always been. They they were this way last year, and so there was reason to believe like they were going to kind of come around the corner, but at no point is this team really felt like the team that they were last year. And so once they lost to true NFC contenders in embarrassing fashion, most the majority of me was like, yeah, like that this makes sense. They've clearly not been as good of a team as they were last year, but even when anticipating it, you weren't saying, Oh, this is going to happen. Still when it happens, you're like, Oh no. So absolutely. There's some panic, right? Absolutely. There's some, you know, this is worse, worse than we thought. The reality is always in the middle. Right. Usually wherever your heart is, wherever your head is, the reality is usually somewhere in the middle of that. And so I think the Eagles are still a legitimate NFC contender. I think they could run through the NFC and make it to the Super Bowl. I think that's still true, but they're very clearly not them and then the Niners and the Cowboys. Right. Like the last two weeks have very clearly shown us it's the Niners and the Cowboys. And then it's this current version of the Eagles. And they need to do work to get back up in, into that one A position. Yeah, I'm really interested in this game because. I, on the face of it, ten and three versus uh, six and seven, and Seattle losing four in a row, and Philadelphia going to uh, the Super Bowl last year, and you know all, all that talent that is still obviously on the roster, and I think you know it's, it's a scary looking matchup. But then if you look at like the more advanced stuff, for instance, Sports Info Solutions is total points. Seattle is the fourteenth team in the NFL in uh, total total points, and the Eagles are twelfth. So there's not much of a difference between the two. Now the Eagles' offense comes in ranking. 8th and, and the Seahawks 11th and then defensively the Eagles defense is 26th in total points where Seattle's 19th so there's you know that's closer than I, I did expect and it kind of speaks to the luck the variance and ultimately I think the issues Seattle's had this year show the uh, with how they've managed to kind of throw away games they should have lost yeah um, sometimes literally and the close games they just haven't they haven't won that's kind of what separates you between it being a playoff team or a good team to to being a, a team who maybe underperforms or or just gets bad luck, say. Yeah, I think the Eagles overall have been a lucky team and the Seahawks have overall been an unlucky team. I think Seattle is still one of the seven best teams in the NFC, even though they might not make that playoff picture. I think the Eagles are right one of those top teams, but you still have like a, you have a very desperate Seattle team. And I think you have a Seattle team that like along the offensive line is better now than they've been in quite some time. And so I think that, we're, you know, it's easy for metrics that are catching their past performance to underestimate them a little bit offensively. I think that like, it's pretty clear that Seattle should be able to throw on this Eagles defense and the Eagles should be able to move the ball in the Seattle defense. Right. And I think that, that clearly, I think both offensive offenses are in a position to be successful. It's a question of, okay, who gets your timely stops, who gets your turnovers and your mistakes. And can there be like a takeover player? Right. Because I think Seattle should, move the ball on Philadelphia. I also think that Hassan Raddick and Josh Sweat have the ability to say, yeah, they should have, but because I'm dominating my one matchup, now they can't anymore, right? So there, there is the potential for those individual takeover players, those elite players to kind of tip the scales. And so I, I expect points. I expect a close game. Eagles have a little bit more firepower. And I think that that leads me to, you know, trusting their star power, trusting them to kind of win this out. But Seattle's co uh, quality of coaching and then like need to win shouldn't be uh, discounted for at all.
So you kind of you're hoping really in in this game that Philadelphia kind of corrects some issues, uh, beat beats up on Seattle. Is there like a particular aspect that you are, are looking forward to seeing, or it might just be a, one of the the matchups? I mean, from a Seattle perspective, I'm uh, I'm curious if uh, Seattle can get Geno Smith playing. <laughs> Yeah, so if it's Drew Locke, I'm feeling great, right? I'm just overall just generally like, all right, don't worry about anything. When I think about this uh, matchup, I'm thinking about it largely in the framework of Gino and, and expecting him to play. I think that he's hoping to play. I think that he'll push to play. Uh, Matchup-wise for the Eagles, they just they uh, paid Hassan Reddick as like a takeover player at edge rusher, and they just haven't had that from him this year, right? He had 10, 10, and 16 sacks each last three seasons, 16 sacks in his first year with Philadelphia last year. He, they, you know, he's got to be on an all pro team. He's the best edge rusher in the league. He's the best bark in the league. Like Eagles fans and Eagles uh, uh, brass really sniffing themselves a little bit, feeling themselves in the Hassan Reddick extension, his ability. But he has this in his game where he just ghosts. Uh, he has stretches where he's just gone. It's because he's a he's a first step winner. He wins early in the down. Or he doesn't really win. Uh, and he's got to be healthy. He's got to be twitched up 90, 95% health in order for him to kind of be successful that way. Uh, so Reddick has been really quiet for them lately. And in general, their pass rush has. Uh, the Eagles are a historically bad defense on third down right now, especially third and pass. Like They're getting teams to third down at the rate of a respectable defense, at the rate of a legitimate defense, a defense that can hang. And then they're giving up third down conversions at a clip that like we haven't seen in the last five years, right? Like they cannot get off the field on third and pass. And the reason is because they're built to win with the pass rush. And then uh, if they if they need help, it's their two outside corners, Darius Slade, James Bradbury, big contract players who are supposed to, you know, buy that extra half second for the pass rush to get home. The pass rush isn't winning, and Slay and Bradbury are still good, but they're also both over 30. They don't move like they used to, right? And so when it comes to like high caliber athlete receivers, CeeDee Lamb, Debo Samuel, guys who they faced in the last couple of weeks, they tend to lose those matchups. Uh, and they can do the same against DK with, with the way that he moves. And so they need their where their bread is buttered, Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, Darius Slade, James Bradbury, to be stronger on third down and get them off the field. That's the number one thing that's got to change for them matchup-wise. Yeah, I liked how on your Philly special podcast after the the Cowboys game, you kind of summed it up as they can't run and they can't tackle in the, the secondary. <laughs> they're the, I think they're the slowest back seven in the league. Like they, they Kevin Byard, Darius Slade, and James Bradbury, who are three dudes who don't leave the field from them in the secondary, are all over 30. 30. Bradley Roby usually stays in the field as well. He's 30. Uh, Reed Blankenship, who's in concussion protocol, but I think they're hoping he plays in this game, is their, their weak safety. Or excuse me, he's their, their, their left safety. He's the youngest guy, and he was like a UDFA, and he's a quality player, but there's a reason why he was UDFA. He's just not that caliber of athlete. And then a linebacker, they've had just like an absolute rotation of dudes right like it's, it's difficult to say exact Cunningham probably won't play this week whatever but if they're Darius Slay or uh, Darius Leonard excuse me and Nicholas Morrow they're not that fast man like they, they they're just not they are a very slow straight line and very slow change of direction team in the back seven so once you complete a pass it's all cows out the barn dude I mean it's 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 let, let hell break loose because you can break tackles on these guys you can break angles and these guys you can pick up a ton after the catch well, that sounds exciting, and hopefully Seattle was able to, from a Seahawks perspective at least, hopefully they're able to actually give their receivers the correct routes and and do stuff which isn't just asking them to win uh, in uh, like isolation ball situations. Mm-hmm. The good positive news out of the practice uh, this Thursday's practice report was published, and Geno Smith is listed as a limited participant with this groin injury, which is an upgrade from what we've previously seen. Adam Schefter reported a two-week timeline on that, which would have seen him miss the Eagles game. Uh, I also heard uh, by a different source that uh, 
that would be a two weeks to kind of deal. But we'll have to see if Gino is able to play. Obviously, Drew, the Drew Lock tape from the 49ers game. Yikes. Um, he, he is who, <laughs> turns out, yeah. just going to the Pacific Northwest, uh, it doesn't dramatically change someone into being a quarterback, an NFL yeah. quarterback. I dropped, I dropped my, my, my quick tongue-in-cheek Drew Locke over Geno Smith tweet after the, the DK Metcalf touchdown. I got oh, yeah, I right, saw that. Right, that annoyed me. Right, and that's exactly why I sent it. That's what I was hoping for. Yep, right, a little concern trolling with the Drew Locke stands. Uh, got it in there, and then immediately he pumpkin afterward. Which, like, even the DK Metcalf throw was still a pumpkin throw. But it was. Mm. Uh, I'm glad I got it in when I did. <laughs> so, coordinator wise with the defense, uh, obviously Seattle fans are very familiar with Sean Desai, and just looking at the over. And I liked again, interesting. You say you were underwhelmed, but you can understand kind of his situation, and it kind of speaks to linebackers, yeah. the linebackers, the secondary, what's going on there. What's interesting to me is. So in total defense, they're 22nd DPA per play, uh, but their pass defense, they're 28th, and their, their rush defense, they're 6th. For From a Seattle perspective, with how it went in Seattle last year, the rush defense was really bad, uh, yeah. and the, the pass defense was okay, but then teams didn't really need to pass because they just run the ball. Is this kind of a case of, you know, the Jordan Davis, um, Jalen Carter on the interior, uh, Fletcher Cox, you can you can just get away with um, so much on the interior that they're kind of doing their job. I mean, when he was in Chicago, he had uh, Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman, and I went back to watch. Hey, what's Seattle's defense meant to look like? Watch that two four five over front stuff, and yeah, oh my god, those two were absolutely dominant in Chicago. So has has Philly just benefited from having a great interior D line, and then the secondary issues we spoke about? Yeah. Uh... I think that's absolutely true. They do run more odd stuff and bear stuff up front on early downs than I thought they would. I wouldn't say they live in it, but they will be a five down team and then rush five and play man behind it. I think more than you would have expected from Desai if you were just familiar with him from Seattle and familiar with him from Chicago. That's part of the reason why their pass rush isn't as successful this year as it was last year, in my opinion, right? Where they'll kind of slow their guys down a little bit. As they've gotten thinner along the defensive line, they traded Contavia Street away at the deadline, and then they cut Derek Barnett. So they've gotten a little bit thinner. Uh, they've moved away from from some of that stuff, right? They were playing like Josh Suez, a four eye, and everything. They've kind of simplified a little bit. Uh, one of the the reasons and and one of the issues is that their their guys are playing like career high snaps right now. Like like Josh Sweat's going to play more snaps this season than he's ever played as an Eagle. Red is going to play more snaps this season than he's ever played. Uh, uh, Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter, both of whom like had conditioning questions coming out of Georgia because Georgia just rotates their guys like crazy because they've got 10,000 freak cats on their defensive line, right? Like both of those guys seen big spikes in, in snaps. And so I think the pass rush is also dying a little bit as we go down the home stretch because these boys are tired, right? Like they're just not used to playing so much. Eagles have historically had a really good two deep line. That's not the case this year with some of the injuries that they've sustained and some of the guys that they've traded away. Uh, and so they, they, they'll do a little bit more five-down stuff because that's that's how they get Jordan Davis activated is by really using him as a nose. Uh, and that's led to some of the success of their run defense. Uh, but that take, can take out some of the, the the teeth of their pass rush. So I think that's why you see those numbers a little bit flip-flop from expectation. And then, yeah, uh, the one thing that I will say that's been really frustrating about Desai and disappointing about Desai is that you would have hoped and expected, given his background with Fangio and given his background as a safeties coach, that he would prioritize and champion above all else accuracy and zone spacing and communication in zone. And the Eagles just can't space like they, and they've had, they've like, 
had a carousel at nickel corner and they, they've, they've changed safety up a little bit. They've had injuries at safety and they've had injuries at linebacker, like all of these, the internal cogs of a lot of these, 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 these zones, they overlap. Like they've had a rotating door. I give them grace for that. I absolutely do, but they'll have six to seven starters in there and they just won't be able to space common concepts. Like they, they just, they just get yanked. They get pulled, they get dropped. And, so almost and, and like just, too much of an emphasis on matching up with a receiver and the kind of overall landmark and the, the distribution with each other's like off you think, or I think that they're, secondary knows that they're slow and it's like take james bradbury for example mm-hmm. bradbury triggers on everything because he has yep. to right he's got to be ahead of the, the ball well, we're seeing the linebacker version of this ben with uh bobby wagner and with bobby yeah. So, yeah and zach Cunningham will do that in philadelphia but zach Cunningham's been doing that since 2019 <laughs> all right bobby it's a new thing this zach this has been the way he's played uh Right, so they, they will just be really, really fast on, on the first eye candy that they see, right? If you go and you watch the Eagles defense against the Commanders and against Eric Bieniemy, their OC, where, like, Sam Howell dropped 30 on them in both games, dude. And the reason was because the enemy was like, shoot, I can open anything I want in the intermediate level of the field. <laughs> like, I, I, I got to do is just flash a couple routes at these cats and send Curtis Samuel screaming down the field for no reason, full safety. Deep. I can create so much space here. So they're just, um, because they're not super athletic, they, they're really fast on stuff. And again, you can make the argument, our pass rush is going to win for us. So let's take things away quickly. And then if the quarterback is on five and a hitch, we think our pass rush can get there and disrupt him enough that, yep. you know, uh, we'll be successful. Pass rush hasn't been doing that. But zone-wise, like, they're just not a well-coached team. I would not describe the Eagles when they're in their zone coverage as, like, being well-coached. So they play a lot more man. And Darius Slay, James Bradbury, like, they have some success with those players, but you can get your tight ends against Kevin Byard, you can get your slots against Eli Ricks and, and Nikhil Roby-Goldman, or not Nikhil Roby-Goldman, Bradley Roby, and you can be successful. So, there you go. The irony of that kind of schematic uh, dilemma for Desai this year compared to last year is, is amazing because last year they played all these forefronts to try and get the pass rush working. This year... <laughs> Philadelphia is running all these odd fronts uh, to to help the run defense, but then the pass rush uh, kind of suffers, which is why Seattle didn't want to run the five front last year. So kind of, it's always that kind of uh, trade off uh, when when you especially calling defense in the NFL yeah. when it's this difficult. Um, so pass rush wise, it sounded like from what I heard on your podcast, what also I, I watched as well, that the Cowboys and 49ers were schematically able to attack the Eagles' pass rushes in or, like or nullify them slightly with um, their, their kind of schematic approach. Is yeah. that something that you think Seattle could replicate? I mean, you can't change your whole offense in a week. And But the, I wouldn't say the Cowboys and 49 schematically are that similar, or, nor are they with their personnel. So, Yeah, and, and I mean, like, does Shane Waldron have uh, any connections to the Kyle Shanahan tree at all? Is there any sort of, you know, whatever? But, like, the, the Cowboys, their third play of the game was just they just grifted a Niners play, right? They just ran a little, like, spin handoff to Kevontae Turpin, just like, this works, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, it, you can grift it pretty easy, right? It ain't, like, obviously, the, the Shanahan system in and of itself, you know, very intricate, yada, yada. The, the you know, constraint play is to get the ball into the hands of a receiver going horizontal. Like, everybody's got a couple of those. Um, absolutely, they can. I'd be curious to see with whom they do it, right? Like, you'll know this better than me. Who, like... Is it is it a D Eskridge thing? Like is it a like is it that's their no. jet guy, right? I like, mean he's the he's the he's the adorable like gadget receiver that every yeah. NFL offense seems to have. But uh <laughs> I think I think that's two bait, but perhaps yeah. not. Um Right, that's the thing I, is like they would, don't they don't do it to DK. They don't do it to be Jackson it'd it be Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think. Yeah. 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 So I think I think like some goofy stuff there. 
I would love if they did some, you know, like two back stuff and get Kenneth moving around as like a like a, a more of a backfield weapon and just leave Charbonnet in the backfield. Um, but yeah, there's there's ways to get creative. But absolutely, you have to have your constraints in terms of of punishing the Eagles edge rushers when they sell out for pass rush, right? Like Kyle Shane had a had a great quote uh, where he was talking about that one of their Debo handoffs in the top of the third quarter where they had like a 20 yard run against Eagles. And he was basically like, we knew if we could just get Reddick to take a half step towards the ball fake, like towards Eli, uh, Eli Mitchell, we could get him with Debo. Like we, we just, we just needed to show him Eli enough, show him the zone run enough to get him to take just one half of a step. He's going to be so far upfield. If we just get him to hesitate a little bit, then we can get Debo around him. And then he was like, great credit to Eli Mitchell. He sold the fake super well. Reddick had a moment's pause. Debo's around him. And now it's George Kittle running free on the block and it's a touchdown, right? Yeah, that, so that it, offense is yeah. disgusting. The it's way they it's dishonorable. The I don't yeah. respect it. I, I do. I love it so much, but I hate it. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Like your your gimmicky gadgety stuff is important to take the, the, the air out of this pass rush, which like Waldron tends to like to drop Gino in the pocket off play action. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have a movement series when you go up against this team. I don't know how much... Seattle's going to be interested in that if Gino's there with the bad groin. If it's Locke, heck yeah, put him on a movement series, right? Cut the field in half for him. So the big thing with this matchup as well is that Devin Witherspoon, the nickel corner or outside corner, does a bit of both. He didn't practice today with his hip pointer injury. Pete Carroll described him as a day-to-day kind of deal. If he does play, naturally, attention will turn towards the fact that he's going up against Jalen Carter, who... I mean, not directly, but <laughs> he's on the opposing team. Seattle passed up Jalen Carter. How good has Jalen Carter been, Ben? He's like fourth in the league in defensive tackle success rate, like pass rush win rate right now. Yeah, like, sounds right. Like of all the players, like not the just all of them. He's uh, he is very big and very quick, and not he's bigger than someone that quick should be, and he's quicker than someone that yeah. big should be. Like he's just a weird blend of this doesn't come around every so often. Uh, he he started the season. He was on pace for like twelve sacks, and we were like, "All right, he's going to walk away with defensive rookie of the year." He, the sack numbers have fallen down, which yeah, like you know, like Donald had eight his rookie year, and Dominicans who had nine. Like it just at, we got a little bit over our skis here in Philadelphia, projecting what he was going to be as a rookie with sacks in the deepest tackle position. He still is good for two or three reps a game, where he just decides to win the play, right? Like run or pass, just like oh, like you had everything else blocked up nicely, but Jalen Carter decided to dump your guard, and so it's a pressure, it's a tackle at the line of scrimmage. Sucks to suck, doesn't it? Uh, so he's still an, an impact player, right? He, he's just like a you got to circle ninety eight, you got to know where he is, sort of a guy. Uh, thank you very much for passing on him and leaving him. Yeah. No, Witherspoon, man, Witherspoon's fun to watch. You got to like you, Devon Witherspoon. I mean, the Carter thing was it was uh it was you knew something very much scared Seattle. Well, it's it's pretty obvious what it was, but they obviously had him in for a visit as well because. Like tape wise, um, just fit wise, it was almost too obvious that like, he was yeah. the perfect player. Like unbelievable tape, just ridiculous. Um, but yes, Spoon's been really fun. I saw Next Gen Stats tweeted out today that uh, Devin Witherspoon is allowed minus six point three receptions allowed over expected, uh, which is top five in the NFL this season, just behind rookie Deontay Banks, who's also having a great year for the Giants, isn't he? Deontay can um, play, yeah, yeah, he can play. He's and in that kind of system as well how they're, they're brave. It's quite impressive what he's doing. Yeah. Right. So offense-wise, the Eagles, I mean, again, on paper, looking at this with how Seattle's defense is struggling this year, it looks like a real scary matchup for Seattle. But interestingly, I heard that um, you placed, uh, well, you didn't place heat, but you were a bit more critical of offensive coordinator Brian Johnson when Shield Kapadia, yeah. Kapadia, uh, 
uh, asked that question of you. So, yeah, what's up with Brian Johnson after Shane Steichen left to be the Colts head coach? Yeah, I think a little bit of it was when you caught me, right? I've been largely a defender of Brian Johnson. Like, I've been on the he's not as bad as we think Mm -hmm. uh, train relative to, I think, uh, a a lot of the Eagles fan base. The The reason why is because there's a frustration with the simplicity of the offense in Philadelphia. They run a very like they run as college of an offense as you'll find in terms of the menu of stuff that they go for. Right. Like it is just, it is not a big menu of passing concepts. It is not a big menu of running concepts, not a big menu of formations. So just like a two by two spread team. Yeah. So spread as well. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely spread, very little pre-snap motion, right? They're just like, Hey, we're going to line up and wherever you're giving us space, we like our athlete in that space against your guys. And so we don't feel the need to over, over complicate this. The Eagles offense was so successful last season that a lot of people, in my opinion, missed how simple it was. Like they were doing this last year. So there was a lot of criticism for Brian Johnson. Like, you know, why are you just running QB draw all the time? That's all the that's what the Eagles did in 2022. When they get a five-man box, they run draw. Like right, and 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 that's simple, right? Um, but also that's really tough for most NFL defenses when you have a sense like Jason Kelsey can get out and Jalen Hurts is fully healthy, yeah. yeah? Oh, absolutely. And it's also a check. Like Mm-hmm. It, it, they're, they're very much an if-then offense, right? Like, all right, if man, then we're going to run our slide RPO and we're going to get the ball to Dallas Goddard. If empty box, when we go empty, right, you know, you, and you go like, you know, like a 50 front or you go like a 4-1 front, we're going to run draw, right? Like, like, we do what you don't want us to do structurally. We don't think you can take away everything that we've got to offer. Uh, so this year with Brian Johnson, they're worse and there's been a lot of criticism for Johnson. Now, I super spread, college style, QB draw oriented offense, right? Or an offense that has that in, in, in its bag can only work if you're playing true 11 on 11 football. The Eagles guy had that last year. They do not have that this year. Jalen Hurts walked into the season with some right knee injury that we didn't get a ton of information on. He hasn't been listed on the injury report and they continue not listening on the injury report, but he very clearly does not go into contact this year. He very clearly slides before contact. He is not as effective as a runner. You take out QB sneaks. He's one of the least effective design QB runners in the league right now, right? And so they are playing an 11 on 11 system 10 on 11 so that's why it's not as pretty as it was that's why it doesn't work anymore again now so i was defending johnson a lot early in the season we're now in week 14 15 14 15 15 15 we're now now in week 15 let's go here we go right we got it's time to move we got we got uh what's his name we got dallas goddard was out with injury for a little bit he's back all right like your, your entire offensive line is healthy, which is the thing not a lot of teams can say around now. Like you, you have 11 of 11 starters on offense. It didn't work the way you wanted it to work to start the season. Jalen can't run. We've spent enough time now seeing this that it's time for us to start doing some different things, right? Like you, you, you run out of fuse there a little bit. Uh, and so that's why those losses to Dallas and to San Francisco were really important for the Eagles because of how bad they were offensively, right? And just to say, okay, like, our stuff is so simple Like people have caught up to the gags now and like, we need to have more solutions. And so, uh, at this month of the season for the Eagles, like I, I, defensively, I think there's only so much they can do with what they got in the cupboard offensively. You cannot walk into the postseason with this much talent on offense with a massive extension quarterback with a top 10 pick at wide receiver and a big extension tight end and top center contract, top right tackle contract, huge AJ Brown contracts. With all of this and say, oh, I'm wearing this 18th best offense, which is like they're not that right now, but that's what they feel like. They feel like, like a, an offense with good talent, but bad scheme. And so they're just kind of mid and, and that that's unacceptable. And so this 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 month now is about watching for the Eagles. Like, all right, what do you change offensively? What new tricks do you have? What new stuff do you have 
uh, to to help make this offense go and to help maximize all this talent you have. Yeah, that's that's a cool way of looking at it from the optimistic perspective of okay, you've got like the last quarter of the season. I mean, if they win out, they still win the NFC East, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yes. Yeah, I think no. Yes, yes, because they'll beat the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because they'll have a better divisional record because they'll beat the Giants twice. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, right. It's it's if they win out, they win the NFCs for sure. It's no longer if they win out, they win the conference for sure. That's yes. what they lost. That's what yeah, it is. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's like a chance for them to put together an offense which will uh, will actually get good at like the evolution that the extra steps needed to then be good in the playoffs. Um, and you can kind of they can find their final form you'd you'd hope i've been saying this about the seahawks though it's quite i've been trying to cope about the seahawks for the past four games like hey this is a tough stretch this is a chance for them to prove themselves hey uh this is a chance for them to correct the errors which keep happening and the same errors keep happening uh so that hasn't been very pleasant now cover zero blitzing that's something that i i picked up on as being a problem for this yeah, what tipped you off? Offense. Was it every single rep of cover zero that Jalen Hurts has faced in three seasons, Maddie? What was it that tipped it off? I'm a defensive genius. Well, oh. why that stands out? To, well, why is that an issue for Philadelphia? First of all, Ben. Uh, zero uh, spread team, right? Uh, they're spread team and they're a check team, and so if you show them zero blitz at the line of scrimmage, a they're going to want to call their draw again, right? They're going to want to yep. get into that. But then B, uh, they don't have a lot of hot routes built into the offense uh like the, the ability to kind of get hot onto a route they'll call like a wide receiver screen or they're they'll run like a shallow and they'll throw that shallow but they don't do a good job just like adjusting routes on site after the ball is snapped and mm-hmm. so they're not good at getting into their hots and so uh there's all of that plus hurts just is very uncomfortable when he's blitzed been true since 21 it was true in 22 like when he had mvp season and went super bowl just when he's blitzed he feels that heat pretty quick pretty easy um and he'll want to get outside of the pocket or he'll want to get rid of the ball and so even when like they keep a guy in to protect which again like because they're a spread team they don't often have like two additional dudes in the core to stay there and protect they'd rather spread those guys out and put them into routes uh but even if they keep in like a sixth guy and they end up with six on six It'll be blocked up and Hertz will still get rid of it quick. It'll be blocked up and Hertz will still get out of the pocket because he doesn't like the feeling of it. And so, uh, Blitz going back to the first season that Hertz was the starter for the Eagles into now, heavy pressure on pass downs is how you get Hertz to, to turtle. It's how you get him to feel uncomfortable, how you get him to regress and be a, a lesser quarterback than he is. Uh, you, you, you're, it is a double edged sword, right? Because when Hertz gets rid of that ball quickly, it's usually a 30 yard bomb to AJ Brown. Yeah, they they win a couple more of those than the other guys do, right? Than the usual receiver quarterback duo do, and so you can send it, and you can live with it, but you do have to live with the fact that you're going to invite some negative consequences as well. Interesting. Well, I've got good news for you in in that the Seahawks uh, very rarely cover zero blitz, and when they do, it often ends in disaster to the point that Conjay Diggs has like publicly spoke out in press conferences, tweets saying how he hates cover zero blitzing. And it's just not them at all. So if they do it this week, they'll probably be bad at it because it's not them. And also they've been bad at it in the past. It's just not it's not who they are. Is there so. a primary free safety who likes zero blitz? There can't be, right? No, I, no, no. Yeah. Exactly. You, could, you could spend 90% of the reps on an every given game just hanging out in center field 30 yeah. yards out. And then for one rep, all of a sudden you got to come screaming downhill and go get connected <laughs> to a slot receiver with no assistance. If I were deep safety, I would also just hate covers you don't flat. True, and Quandre Diggs is uh, quite quite the character. Um, so, 
In terms of the Eagles' run game, I mean, pass coverage, I, we'll see how Seattle gets on. That I think the the other thing which with the the Q, QB draw stuff is Bobby Wagner's going to be on the field in the middle of the defense. So mm-hmm. Jason Kelsey versus Bobby Wagner in space when you've got the threat of the pass first, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> um, where was it going? Oh, yeah. So I should say that Trey Brown, who missed the last game of a heel injury, the starting left corner for Seattle when Witherspoon moves into the slot, he was a limited participant in uh, today's practice with a that same injury. So we'll see if he manages to get back. If not, it'll be Mike Jackson working in there. He had an okay game against the 49ers. Right, run game-wise, we kind of touched on it a bit, how Jalen Hurts has uh, been banged up and it's not really 11-on-11 11 11 football, kind of a cheat code when you can do that really well. I know you've spoke eloquently and tweeted eloquently about uh, the the Eagles' run game and the scheme. How are you feeling about the run game? Uh, I think the tweets were uh, like two weeks ago or something. Yeah. Has, has there been any changes or is it still that gun spread stuff? It's gun it's gun spread stuff. Like they, they got they got under center a decent amount in the Niners game. A decent amount, like four times. Uh, but they weren't very good at it. And so it's a little bit of like, you know, it'd be nice if you could just press the button and it's great, but that's never really the case. The run thing for the Eagles is tricky because uh, you know, there were a couple of Philly guys just outside of the facility that are holding a sign saying, like, run the ball more, right? And they're yeah. not wrong. But the Eagles are not successful running the ball right now, and they're they're much more successful passing it. And so it's like, all right, like they shouldn't really run the ball more because it's not a good rep for them. And they overall still remain a very good passing offense, which is again true. But they should be a much better running team than they are with the the dominant offensive line that they have, and with a back like Swift, who is far from a perfect back, but like he's about what Miles Sanders is. And they had Sanders last year, and they were a great handoff team. So what is it that changed? Losing Dallas Goddard's a big deal. Their tight end too is Jack Stoll. He's just not a high impact player. Uh, I haven't heard of him. Yeah, and so uh, they losing Dallas Goddard's a big deal, right? They don't really play with a fullback, and so they they they're either eleven, twelve personnel team. Goddard is a hugely important part of their run blocking. So he was he was part of it. Losing Jalen's running ability matters a lot because you're going to be a gun run team. Your quarterback better be a threat, and they don't really have that this year. But fundamentally, they don't spend enough offensive resources, spend enough downs in the game, spend enough time in practice, just repping a variety of runs, like being able to say, okay, like we're going to like, you know, actually have like a pin pole series that like works for us. We're going to actually have like a gap power series that works for us from under center. They don't make that investment. And so they don't, they can't pull it out on game day when they need it. And there's no reason for that when their offensive line is this good. And when Jeff Stoutland is this good, right? Their offensive line coach who helps design the running game is, is like legendary in the league. So that they are, so oriented on the idea that they can win in the running game by just making the numbers work and playing six on six, playing seven on seven, including the quarterback's legs and like keep it simple and and fold into the RPO game. But they are not maximizing the offensive line the way that they should be. I don't see that changing. This is more of like a old man yells at cloud complaint from mm-hmm. me where I'm like, you should be this and they're not going to be that, but it still pisses me off uh, than it is something that I think is going to like functionally change them in the future. Damn. Well, I, this has been very enlightening because I, I've well, I've learned learned a lot about the the Eagles. <laughs> it, no the grass isn't always greener, even though the Eagles uniforms are slightly greener, aren't they? Um, they're a three point favorite uh, in this game, which again, that line is I'd expect that to be a lot larger, um, <laughs> uh, given Seattle's coming off four straight losses and the Eagles are still ten and three and and their uh, prestige. But it kind of speaks to. A, all of what we spoke about today. Um, ben, last question. Rashad Penny, 
former Seahawks legend, uh, w- was a really explosive running threat. Yeah. Looked like he was going to kind of not live up to where he was drafted, but he was making good on that. And then I think Seattle expected him to come back and he went elsewhere. How has that worked out? <laughs> I mean, they don't, they don't, again, like if you're not going to be an under center running team and like Swift yeah. and Gainwell and Scott yeah. are going to ma- matter a lot more for you than Penny is. And so yeah, I, w- watching his gun snaps, it's like, he's going to get up to speed. He's going to get up. To, oh, he didn't get up to speed. Cause it's the shotgun, yeah. not under center. So, yeah. So it's, um, they brought him in. There was a moment in camp where there was like, they're going to cut him for Trey Sermon. And that would have been like truly a low. Yeah. That didn't actually happen. Um, but they don't deploy him. He did. Uh, he is not a uh, is not an active member of game day or an important player for them, and that really blows. He got he got the uniform. He has the the team yeah. there. It's all good. Ben, thanks so much for your time. It's been an absolutely brilliant uh, chat. I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, is there anything you'd like to promote? Uh, read the Ring NFL. Go to Ring NFL show. Listen to it. Uh, watch the play show on YouTube. Have a good time. There you go. Thank you so much, everyone. I'll be back uh, after Sunday, or after Monday, not Sunday, after Monday, where the Seahawks will hopefully have snapped their their, uh, losing streak. But if they don't, at least Ben will be happy. Right. Have a good night.